Hi, welcome to Push Dose Medic, where we focus on core concepts for the beginner paramedic. I'm your host, Jaron Gerald. This podcast was created to build a bridge between the knowledge gained in the classroom and the clinical setting. So thanks for listening, sit back, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Push Dose Medic podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in this week. Um, this week, we have a special guest along with us that's going to talk to us about National Stop the Bleed Month. It's no longer a day. We have uh, dedicated this training and initiative to a whole month now. So hopefully by the end of this, you'll have some knowledge about this initiative and know where to get the training and hopefully the knowledge to train others. So without further ado, let's get into it. Um, my partner's putting my tourniquet on right now, so I'm not able to uh, get him into custody yet. Uh, mark this time for tourniquet time. Okay, guys, so this episode's going to be a little different. Uh, this week, we're going to actually share you uh, some information on National Stop the Bleed Month uh, that's coming up in May. So not any clinical information on this episode, just basically some uh, info. So I have here the chairman of National Stop the Bleed Month, Andrew Fisher. Um, Andrew, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, so a little bit about me. I am... Uh, currently a third-year medical student at Texas A&M College of Medicine. Uh, before that, I was a PA uh, in the Army for uh, about 10 years and uh, did most of my time assigned to the 75th Ranger Regiment and uh, did a, you know some deployments and, and such and uh, decided to go to medical school uh, because the, my wife kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, so I'm happy she did. And once I transitioned out, I kind of, uh, recognized a little bit of deficiency, I think, um, um, with bystander hemorrhage control. So that, that, that's, that's a little bit about, about me. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I agree with that. Um, uh, the, you know, the common picture that they teach CPR to people and they teach that every year and that's a requirement for everywhere, but there's nothing really for bleeding control. Um, And even the classes that are taught are pretty, pretty low. I know in my paramedic school, we didn't, we went over one tourniquet and how to apply it. And that was about it. It it was very simple. Um, So national stop the bleed month. Um, You know, last year, 2018, Mm -hmm. we had a single day dedicated to it. What made that change to dedicate? So uh, yeah, last year, um, I arbitrarily just kind of picked a day, and it was March 31st. Um, I had actually looked on my the calendar on my computer, and it didn't show that anything was going on that that day. Uh, so I was like, hey, let's do this, and everyone else agreed. And then um, soon after, we recognized that uh, that was Easter weekend, and that uh, was, wasn't the, uh, the best choice. Uh, so we expanded it out, actually, to a week before – uh, March 31st and a week after March 31st uh, to kind of give um, people an opportunity to uh, participate. Uh, after that, it was a huge success. We ended up training about um, 35,000 people in that two-week period. 
uh, and and uh, had That's a lot awesome. of uh, activity even overseas. Uh, you know, in, in in the different countries that reported to us, there were uh, fifteen hundred people trained. So uh, that was pretty exciting stuff. Uh, it was it grew, and and a lot of people became interested in it. And I work uh, closely with um, the American College of Surgeons. Uh, because really all we're doing is try mm-hmm. to bring more awareness to to the bleeding control dot uh, org or stop the bleed program uh, so that's all we're trying to do so we really want to be in line uh, uh, with their objectives and what they feel is appropriate uh, so we talked and we had earlier even you know very close to before right after national stop the bleed day we said well we probably need to expand this to a whole month and we initially had talked about march uh, and, uh, and we got with the American college surgeons and they said, well, what do you think about May? And, and we went back and forth a little bit about it and, uh, decided that would probably be better for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's, uh, you know, near the end of school, uh, it's a little bit warmer out. Uh, so, you know, how, wherever these classes, um, take place, it uh, may give them a little bit better opportunity to have, uh, more involvement. Uh, and maybe they want to do it outside, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And, uh, it's also, as you probably know, um, uh, yeah, EMS week is in May. Uh, so they had worked with, uh, they had been, uh, contacted by the American college of emergency physicians. And so ASAP and, uh, ACS and us, we all kind of agreed that we would do it in May and then have the ceremonial national stop the bleed day on the 23rd. And I know uh, last year we did one class on the actual day and I think two classes during the month. And uh, so we were three in our little county. So I have seen it been a huge success. And I'm actually working with, I think, two or three churches and or schools at this time to uh, teach classes. So hopefully I'll be able to do those in May for this this year. Um, So... We're talking about the College of Surgeons, the uh, NCS, and all this. Um, and I guess a lot of people think since this initially came out in the Sandy Hook area, uh, and you guys kind of mm-hmm. originated after Las Vegas, we think mass shootings and you know the mm-hmm. New Zealand incident that just happened. And I guess we can tell people it's not just mass shootings. You don't have to, you know, provide care under fire. This can happen anywhere. Uh, car accidents, industrial. Pre-hospital, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's very important that that the uh, participants understand that, yeah, most likely it's going to be uh, some sort of accident at home or school or the workplace. Uh, you know, maybe a car accident, like you said. So uh, it's it's very. Um, I guess I, sometimes I get uh, somewhat a little frustrated um, that sometimes you don't see a lot of effort and talk about stop the bleed and then there will be something like a you know mass shooting which is a a terrible tragedy um but then people start becoming interested and and so that that it is it's because the harper consensus initially kind of started around the idea of you know um surviving during active shooter uh but it has evolved like i said it has evolved and you kind of pointed out that yeah you're more likely to have an issue just you know by accident Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyday life is probably where you're going to use this the most, yeah. but you know, it's always good to be prepared when that mass shooting or yeah. something like so that. So I, I was actually uh, so this weekend, or oh. I'm sorry, not this weekend. It's the uh, middle of the week. Uh, 
I was um, up in Chicago at the American College of Surgeons, the Committee on Trauma. They have their um, uh, conference meeting up there. And so I was invited to go up to to the Stop the Bleed uh, meetings because they have a whole bunch of uh, different uh, parts to it. And I was uh, invited to go up there and sit on a few different meetings concerning this. And and the uh, state coordinator for Georgia was there. And uh, he said it, after they implemented, uh, you know, the stuff of kiss in the school, uh, since then they've had four uses of, of uh, tourniquets in, in schools in Georgia, and none of them were due to, you know, active shooters or, or even, you know, guns, you know, uh, weapons. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's, that's something people need to know. Just they don't have to think right. they're running into fire to, to use mm-hmm. this training. It happens every day. It's. Yeah, can't turn a yeah. blind eye to that kind of stuff. Well, that's awesome that the I know some other schools mm-hmm. are working on that as well. Um, Alaska, Washington, Maryland, multiple now. Yeah, since yeah. I've done the last, it is research, it's definitely so. catching on. And and uh, here in Texas, there there's something in the uh, state legislature that has to do with uh, bleeding control kits in schools. So it's growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, sooner yeah than absolutely. Later. <laughs> So we have, you know, a mass shooting or even let's just say an industrial accident while someone's at work. How, how important is this, is this training to somebody? Um, you know, the ambulance is only five minutes away. Why do I, why do I need to know stop the bleed training? So uh, how important is bystander? Typically, or, or, you know, historically we, we've said that you can bleed out and die uh, in three to five minutes. Uh, typically that's from, uh, you know, the femoral artery is kind of what they use as an example. Uh, but yeah, if you, uh, have yeah. an, um, you know, massive hemorrhage, uh, arterial hemorrhage, you can yes, very rapidly, uh, bleed out, decompensate and, and potentially, uh, die. So it's, it's important that, you know, people on the scene, uh, one, you know, don't take any videos, uh, work on getting some sort of control. Uh, and, and we've, you know, that if you, the stop the lead course talks about applying direct pressure, packing a wound and tourniquets. And, uh, right now, a lot of places they don't, they don't carry tourniquets. So, uh, we, we kind of uh, teach them to, mm-hmm. you know, apply, apply pressure to the wound. Um, you know, and, and up with them, um, talking with some people, you know, do we teach them to apply pressure, you know, on the, you know, like the femoral artery or brachial artery, but right now, I don't know if that's, uh, probably the best idea, but yeah, direct pressure to the wound. Cause you, uh, can absolutely bleed out and die within a few minutes. And, uh, going back to places, not carrying tourniquets, uh, I don't know if you saw that video of a, a woman, I think she was shot in her upper thigh and the guy was using a belt, um, which a lot of people think you can just improvise a tourniquet, but God knows there's tons of research saying that doesn't work, but he was actually applying pressure mm-hmm. with his knee into the, into the groin. So okay. he was doing some kind so, of work. Yeah. 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 Be- belts, um, are historically, uh, very poor. Uh, depending on what study you look at it between 50% and a hundred percent failure. So yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's not a good option. The movies are uh, kind of messed us up on that. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, kind of, freedom with with how they uh choose to treat people. Yeah. A bungee cord and a ballpoint yeah. pen can uh make yeah. a turn <laughs> Yeah. 
We won't name any bungee cords for copyright reasons. There we they go. They should not be used. Yes. Um, the uh, d- the data on um, elastic tourniquets uh, is uh, l- in the lab. Um, some of them work well um, and some of them work. Uh, I haven't seen, I, I tell you this, I had based upon the data and I haven't seen an elastic tourniquet that doesn't work but uh, you know the the issue is is i think is uh the you know how reproducible is that so you know i've yeah. been working with tourniquets for you know 15 years you know i can apply just about any tourniquet but if i hand something to you know bystanders say hey go ahead and do this and while it may seem intuitive to actually make it work as a tourniquet is very difficult sorry yeah <laughs> sorry it's a little uh segue there no, no, and I, I agree with that. Also, with the um, I guess we'll talk about the uh, the bungee cord, and then the other one that's uh, the SWAT T. Yes, uh, it's a stretchable yep. one too, mm-hmm. and it kind of does look like a good idea. You know, stretch the diamond and fill the circle, but you know, think of somebody that doesn't know how to apply a tourniquet. That's going to be really difficult to reproduce, and yeah, not everybody has the same strength. So yeah, yeah, definitely not going to work. Yeah, it it is it, it's. People want to carry. Well, I carry for a bandage, and I'm, again, it works. And I'm not. I'm not. You know, um, here to say it doesn't. Yeah, you know, I guess you know. On some disclosure, you know, I, I am a, a, com, a committee member on the um, committee for, on tactical combat casualty care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, yeah, we we uh, are you know, review tourniquets and all sorts of medical equipment. So I try to be honest with the uh, with how things work and if they work and how well they work. I uh, certainly don't want to um, have it uh, be perceived that, that, you know, I don't have, or I have some sort of favor with something over, you know, another thing just because, you know, maybe personal yeah. relationships. Well, it's, this kind of something that's pretty important to uh, discuss and select. Yeah. I mean, we're not yeah. comparing a Garmin Phoenix to an Apple watch. So. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, while we're talking about tourniquets. So, so we know the, Coty CC, Coty Triple C um, endorses two cats, the Softy and the Cat Seven. I think they have now. Yes. Um, so those are the ones that have all the research based on them, and we know that work. Um, mm-hmm. So I've gone through the class, and then I hop on Amazon and I get a tourniquet. What's wrong with that? It's twenty bucks cheaper. It says it comes from an a- NAR. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with uh, me buying a tourniquet off amazon um nothing if you know what you're looking for you know it's you probably understand um and and know exactly what is real what is not um but uh they're you know fraudulent tourniquets that appear to look like the cat um but but they're not right and a lot of them are made in china uh and other places that don't have the uh, same standard at which uh, the cat and and like the soft T white is how it's made. Uh, so there there have been uh, anecdotes about uh, these tourniquets breaking and failing on people uh, during you know someone with massive hemorrhage. So it's, it, it, you can do something off Amazon, but it's probably better to go to a reputable uh, distributor and order uh, your cat or soft tea from them. Yeah. So I've. I actually got an Amazon tourniquet and a real Cat Seven. Um, what are some differences you notice in someone's uh, trying to spot a fake? 
Uh, so the, f- you know, the, okay. So the, uh, if we talk about Jijin 7, one, it has a different windlass. So that windlass is, uh, um, a little bit, um, larger and, uh, and it allows, it also has some ridges on the ends that uh, allow you to grasp it. Uh, the, uh, older or the fake tourniquets will have the old windlass. It's going to be thin. If you look at the stabilization plate, which is the, uh, small plate underneath, um, you know, that, 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 that plastic underneath the strap, uh, typically if you turn it over, you're going to see NARS, uh, North American rescues, uh, information on the back there. Uh, a lot of the ripoffs won't have anything on there or they'll have, you know, some, maybe some fake, um, looking NAR stamp. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the and the stabilization plate tends to be a little bit thinner. Uh, so, interestingly, if you look at uh, the uh, failures with the cat in combat, uh, by far the majority of them uh, were well, one they were all exposed in the elements for you know up to seven months. Uh, but the failures are actually the stabilization plate and not the windlass. So that stabilization plate needs to have a certain thickness. And a certain uh, structure. The, uh, that's what's compressing down. Right, right. Applying the pressure. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, the strap overall. So if you look at the strap, it's a lot of the fake ones will have a hole uh, at the near the red tip. Uh, so where you can maybe you know put your finger in and uh, be able to pull a extra tension. And uh, I think those are probably the the big things about uh, how to spot a fake. Uh, definitely if, if, if uh, any tourniquet that you see that looks like a cat that uh, has a hole near the red tip, that's definitely a fake. Yeah. And I've, uh, we, uh, we bought a bunch off Amazon to teach the classes with and, uh, put trainer all over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look very similar to cat and I'll, I'll post some pictures so people can see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the holding a cat seven, holding an Amazon tourniquet, you can definitely tell the difference. So yeah. Um, for anybody who's listening, if you're, Buying something off Amazon, make sure it comes from a good company. Uh, North American Rescue is where I get mine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Don't skimp out on it because it's you know, it's yeah. not a watch. You know, it's a it's a tourniquet. It's something that's potentially going to save you or someone else's life. Yeah, and it's you know it's, it's a, like it's like a ten dollar difference. Yeah, so you can I think most people can probably spare ten bucks. Uh, so whenever I teach the uh, Stop the Bleed course, I actually bring my fake tourniquets with me to show the class and be like, this is what you need to look for. I think it's important for people who do that to maybe help help those, uh, you know, the, the your students to recognize a fake one. Yeah. And yeah, it's the American thing to get everything cheaper and off Amazon. So yeah. it's really important yeah. to, to know those differences because, you know, you never... Sometimes you don't get the picture is a lot different than what you get. So yeah, yeah, I have experienced that too. <laughs> so a lot of tourniquet talk. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's buy the right one. Let's make sure it's a uh, one that's from reputable company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we teach you guys how to put them on properly. Well, let's talk about wound packing. Um, so okay. I get shot in the leg. I tourniquet that. What about uh, a junctional or something that needs to be packed. What, what, yeah. what are we talking there? So most of the kits, um, and of course the stuff will be course talks about uh, hemostatic dressings. There are, uh, basically three different types, but the most common one you're that people will most likely encounter is, uh, called combat gauze quick clock. 
or I'm sorry, quick clock combat gauze. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that is a, uh, a, uh, Catlin based, um, product where the Cellox and, uh, the Hemcon is a, uh, uh, Kytosin based, uh, uh, hemostatic. So, and uh, you know, they both work in different ways and they also kind of, uh, both of those, um, kind of interact with the, with the body, uh, and the hemorrhaging a little differently. But the idea is that if this dressing is going to help control some of the hemorrhage, then the the idea is that we want to get it down there, right next to you know where the artery is or, or whatever the whatever is bleeding, get it as close as possible to that, and then try to pack and on top of that area. But also, you also want to, uh, if it is something like a gunshot wound, you want, you may have some cavitation um, in the wound in the wound tract, so you you want to continue to pack everything in there. Yeah, so, so pack all the spaces, yeah. We're not laying it on top so blood can pull under. We want to right, follow a right. finger and fill the whole cavity. Yeah, uh, wound packing is kind of interesting because a lot of people in EMS aren't taught how to wound pack. Yes, and, I was and, horrible at it when I first started. But yeah, yeah. I'm pretty good now. Yeah, so, yeah it's kind of interesting that, that uh, sometimes they don't understand. And, and, and the fact that we're teaching uh, bystanders how to wound pack, I, I think EMS needs to catch up a little bit. But it, it is, takes a little bit of practice to, uh, to get your technique down. Yeah. And uh, if you go to a real stop the bleed course, uh, I know we have the the thigh with all the bullet holes in it and Mm -hmm. you really get a good feel for how to properly pack a wound. Yeah. Yeah, Um, definitely. So what about, you know, I I carry the quick clot in my vehicle and Mm -hmm. on my person. Um, What if you don't have quick clot? What can we use? Uh, So a lot of people... Uh, could you use paper towel? Probably yeah. not. Probably <laughs> not. Uh, say if, um, well, one, if you, if you don't have a, a, some sort of hemostatic dressing, maybe you have something like compressed gauze, uh, which obviously is, is similar to the hemostatic dressings, but they don't have the, the, uh, uh, the chemicals in it or, or the compounds in it to help coagulate the blood. So you could use that. I think it's probably... Uh, pretty close to being the same effectiveness as a, as a hemostatic dressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but say, yeah, you say you're out somewhere and, and you don't have anything. What can you do? Um, you can use any piece of clothing for the most part and try it to, uh, pack into the wound. Uh, that may not be very effective, uh, just based upon, you know, how wounds, um, you know, how those wounds can sometimes be somewhat difficult and small, uh, but still have some uh, significant hemorrhage. So yeah. you, you can still take that. This is probably a time where, yeah, you want to take the, whatever you have and compress on top of the wound. And then, uh, as we you know mentioned earlier, that direct pressure is also one of the uh, three techniques used to, to help control hemorrhage. Yeah. Yeah. So tourniquets, wound packing, we're going to cinch the limbs and seal the box. Yes. Pretty easy to remember. Yeah. Yeah. And want to make sure we do not uh, pack abdominal wounds. So if right. someone gets shot in the stomach, it's pretty much packing a wound into an open fist. You're, yeah. I don't know if you'll ever run out of wound uh, packing you, stuff. Yeah, you would have to have a lot of he never uh, ending. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing how much can fit into the abdomen and and the little you know recesses and and such that that have a lot of space for blood. And would be the same with thing with a with a hemostatic dressing. Yeah. So, um, I know a few times when I've taught the 
one of the biggest questions I got, maybe you have some more insight on it, was uh, basically safety, um, either from a threat or a bloodborne pathogen. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of difficult to explain because, you know, it's my job to actually, depending on a lot of EMS systems, now they're going in with body armor and all that. So it's easier for us to understand. But what about a bystander? Um, let's just go back to the the Las Vegas shooting. You know, you yeah. have bullets flying over your head and blood everywhere. Yeah. How do you explain to somebody how important bystander CPR is when there's a threat? Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the presentation, it does discuss, you know, not necessarily putting yourself in harm's way. Uh, I think uh, I think a lot of us uh, still have that, I guess, that desire to help people and and may, you know, make that choice to, to try and, and help someone out who may be injured. Um, and in those situations, you know, it's kind of have to, you kind of have to make up your mind what you want to do. Uh, but from, from the, uh, stop the bleed, um, um, you know, curriculum says, you know, you need to watch out for your own safety. The things that, that you should do or the only thing you should do in those situations, uh, just like in the military and taught, you know, in, tactical combat casualty care is that you can apply a tourniquet and that's it. Uh, outside of that, you should be moving them to some sort of cover, um, or some sort of shelter where they, uh, are safe. Yeah. To a hospital with a trauma. Yeah. Preferably. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. a big thing in EMS that hopefully is changing is not playing around on scene with a trauma because we can't do anything. Yeah, that's been, uh, you know, kind of a theme for, I think, a while. It kind of comes and goes a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if uh, if you – I'm sure you probably read some of the for stuff that came out of Las Vegas that, uh, you know, may, maybe it's not best to send a whole bunch of people to the scene and maybe send people to the hospitals because people tend to find their way there um, without waiting for the ambulance, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, they're getting not, they're getting out of the dangerous, um, uh, area and seeking help. So, uh, yeah. I, I don't necessarily blame them for that. Yes. And it's definitely what they needed with that kind of influx. Cause we were definitely yeah. overwhelmed. Oh, absolutely. So I think it was important, you know, I mean, we can, you know, we can talk about stop the leads and some of the techniques. Um, but I think it's important to maybe mention that, you know, stop the bleed, um, uh, should be owned by EMS. Um, and what I mean by that is, is EMS is in that unique position to where they, you know, in, work around and work with and take care of people in their, in their community. You know, it's not inside the hospital, obviously. I mean, that's, it goes, that's pretty clear. So here they have the unique opportunity now to maybe engage uh, with their community in a way that, uh, one, um, may help save a life, but two, also kind of, uh, develop some rapport and, uh, and good relationships with, with EMS. And I think it's very important that, um, people take the bus, uh, stop the bleed course and then become an instructor and try to make a, you know, a little bit of difference in their community. Yeah. And that's, that's actually how I got into it because my wife came home with a certificate saying mm-hmm. she was certified and I was like, well, she's a, pick you nurse pediatric intensive care so i don't think you're really going to be stopping the bleed up there yeah Um, this is more my thing so i went ahead and got certified and took a class and now i teach them so Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i what i would like my agency to move towards and we're slowly getting there um but the hospital's kind of taking our clients too 
But yeah, and that's kind of I think a pretty common, um, especially I think in the smaller cities, to where uh, maybe there's only one major hospital, and or you know, or major trauma center. Maybe that's better. Yeah, better words. And yeah, they kind of uh, have you know they have a trauma program manager, and they have you know uh, you know people doing outreach. And most of these positions are are nurses, and nothing wrong with that. Uh, but you definitely see. Uh, more nurses entering into this um, instructor side of things, uh, which is great. They're out there trying to do um, the best they can and, and try to make a difference. But like I said, I think this is all EMS. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, EMS has that firsthand experience in the, uh, they may have seen it and dealt with it before. Unlike right, the nurse right. has in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly who teaches ours. We have a nurse and actually a trauma PA as well, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's a lot of nursing. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same here, but, um, very, very nice, um, nurses that I've worked here, uh, with here teaching the course. Um, so nothing, nothing against nurses at all. Um, it's yeah. more about just, you know, trying to advocate for EMS. Yeah. And who, yeah. as long as someone's teaching it, that's all that really matters. Just right, getting the right. information out there. Yeah, yeah. So is the the main focus of the classes to the general public, or are we focusing, you know, on schools, churches, since, you know, a lot of mass shootings happened in those areas? Uh, yeah, I think it depends. Um, well, I, I will say that, that a lot of these courses that take place are, as you're probably familiar with, um, and if the listeners uh, don't know, that uh, when you – register a class uh, through bleedingcontrol.org is uh, you get to choose if it's an open class or if it's a closed class. So if it's a closed class, that'd be like, yeah, you're going out and, and teaching the church members uh, where, um, you know, I think we probably need to maybe look at how can we make this an open class so anyone can show up and, and take the course as uh, maybe a combination of something like that uh, where you have, you know, so many people reserve, but you open it up for other people to show up. And I understand the concern, you know, listening to some of the people talk this week, you know, how, how, what kind of resources do you really need to put forward? You know, if you have an open course and only three people show up and you have five instructors, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the greatest uh, model. So I think there needs to be some improvement on that aspect of it. But uh, yeah, teach schools, uh, churches, uh, businesses, I think is very important. Uh, and, and obviously we, um, you know, as the American College of Surgeons promote, this is a, as a free course uh, that only takes about an hour long. I think the best uh, way for it to spread is actually word of mouth. I mean, if you think of you teach one class in a church and mm-hmm. uh, they, they kind of say, Hey, did you see what happened at that church, you know, in New Zealand, or you see what mm-hmm. happened in Texas or, Right. or something like that, then you that that group of three people might grow a little bit because they see the actual importance of, of mm-hmm. knowing proper tourniquet and wound packing use. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, in fact, last year um, uh, we interviewed uh, Hank, uh, Hank Farner, who was the police officer, one of the police officers that entered the church here in Texas and uh, applied, a, uh, I think, uh, two tourniquets, I believe. Uh, so yeah, and and after that, uh, his whole community was interested in in stop the bleed. So uh, how uh, you know again, terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, but but you see, you know, 
good uh, good treatments uh, from police officers, and that encourages everyone else to kind of get trained. Yeah, and that's awesome. Unfortunately, a bad thing has to happen for right. a change to happen sometimes, but yeah, yeah, and again, yeah, like we mentioned go. earlier, it's kind of frustrating that happens. So let's reiterate again: uh, Stop the Bleed Month is going to be the whole month of May. So that's going to be a time that a lot of people are going to be opening up free classes. They should be free. If you have to pay for them, I'd look into it a little more. Um, that may just be supplies. You may get a handout at the end, maybe mm-hmm. a free tourniquet. I don't know. Yeah. Um, all of ours are free though. So mm-hmm. uh, bleedingcontrol.org is where you're going to find all this information. Right. And then for Andrew's stuff, stopthebleedmonth.org. Yeah, Stop the Bleed Month. Uh, we're also on Facebook uh, under National Stop the Bleed Month, uh, Twitter, at uh, which is at uh, NSTBM19. Uh, and uh, we're also on Instagram. So we're, we're out there everywhere. And, and I'll be honest, that's kind of like uh, how we formed and, and why we think this message is important to spread using social media because so many young people – and, and even people my age uh, are, are using social media to communicate and to, uh, you know, get information. So trying to be as active as possible on social media to kind of promote National Stop the Bleed Month and, and overall just, you know, getting some sort of training uh, and Stop the Bleed, wherever that may be. Yeah. And if, if anything, it's training for yourself. Uh, you never know when you're going to be in that situation. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I knew a, a lot about it beforehand. And when I came out of the class, I still learned something. So yeah. it's definitely yeah. beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I encourage anyone to at least take the class, spread, retweet, do whatever, get the information out <laughs> there. Uh, it's extremely important. You know, yeah. you never know when something's going to happen. You might pull up to a wreck, a shooting. You might cut your hand off in the kitchen. Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've about cut a few fingers off, but you yeah, know. yeah, uh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely worthwhile. So um, I, I hope uh, we get a, a big influx of EMS um, professionals entering into the this you know concept of teaching everyone in the community. Uh, I think real quick, important also if if people do want to become an instructor, uh, they uh, you have to take a stop the bleed course. Um, but also you know, being EMT, paramedic, whatever it is, uh, also kind of um, allows you to teach the course. They are getting ready to come out with a second version. I don't know for sure, so I don't. I don't want to say that is happening, but but soon we should see a, a new version of the bleeding control. For you know, as far as the presentation is concerned. Cool, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate this a lot. I think it's going to turn out good and. I think we'll get the information out there and hopefully have a successful month. Yeah, yeah hopefully, man. Hopefully. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, thank you again for listening. I want to thank Andrew again for joining us this week and help spreading the word of National Stop the Bleed Month. We will definitely have him back for more topics in the future. Uh, Please check out the show notes for any more information on how to get involved or how to spread this message. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. I bet if we put a headline that says Trump wants to stop the bleed, we'll be overwhelmed, overwhelmed (laughs) with with classes. Everybody would sign up. Yeah, probably. (laughs) 